Well, summer is almost over, and um, school started again this past week, right? And so at Publix, uh, I was there the other night, evening, and at Publix, I ran into several of you, and some of you were actually discouraged about that. You like sleeping in, you like relaxing. How many of you like that? You almost hate schools back in session. Yeah, about two of you. Okay. Uh, others of you, however, you were like singing the hallelujah chorus as you were going through the produce aisle. How many of you are glad to be back to routine and schools back in session? Yeah. Yeah, you guys are the, uh, the legalists. Okay, good. Well, anyway, we're back together, but um, summer's almost over, and we've been doing First and Second Corinthians all summer long, got two more weeks of this. Today, we come to a passage of Scripture on giving, and it's Second Corinthians chapter 9. And this passage of Scripture has truly been blown out of proportion. This passage of Scripture has claimed by some teachers that it nullifies everything Moses said, or it nullifies what Abraham taught, or it nullifies what Jacob said. And I just, I'm asked so many questions about giving. I thought, we're going to talk about it. And it's raining, and you're not going anywhere, so we've got plenty of time to do this this morning. (laughs) And also, the lobby's like half full, and I'm just, I apologize to all of you in the lobby The wedding chapel will be open. We'll have our fourth service by November the 5th, and so we'll have two 10 o'clock services, so we'll have plenty of room, hopefully, very soon uh, in the wedding chapel. But those of you in the lobby, thank you for being here. Sorry that you did not get in. Come a little earlier. Anyway, um, (laughs) sorry, sorry, got God free. I took communion too already this morning. I'm sorry about that. But I'm asked so many questions. Do we tithe? Do we not tithe? We got New Testament giving. New Testament giving supersedes Old Testament giving. What Paul says doesn't go go along with what Moses taught. How come Abraham did this and Paul did this? I'm asked so many questions about this. So I've decided today to take a Sunday and just talk about it because I I, I think that it's a three-legged stool. I think giving, if you can think of giving as a three-legged stool today, there are three components to this, and so I want you to think about this as we, as we begin this. Um, our passage of Scripture this morning is about a very specific context. Our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is about a famine. It's not replacing the Old Testament giving. It's not superseding. It's not like a a new will. You know, if you write a new will, all the old wills are like, you know, null and void. It's It's not like this is something new. And so somehow we take today's passage of Scripture, which is a specific problem. The mother church is starving. The mother church in Jerusalem has a famine. And there's a very specific context to today's passage of Scripture, and somehow We've spun off the fact that now this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 negates everything that Moses or Abraham or Jacob taught, and it does not. So think of the tripod, three-legged stool, three different legs, and now all three of these go together. All right, get your app out, get your app ready. All these verses are on your app. All you have to do is type in about three different words today. If you don't have the Harborside app, look for somebody who's about 12, and they'll help you. They'll put it on there for you before you can take your next breath, all right? So 
Three legs, here's the first leg. You know where this was coming from? Tithing, absolutely. Tithing is all throughout the Bible. People say it's not in the New Testament. It is in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus talks about it. It's in the entire Bible. But we'll start where, where, with Abraham. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. First time we see tithing, Genesis 14, first mention. All right, we'll go to Jacob. We could talk about Isaac, but we'll go to Jacob. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and that all of you give me, uh, I will give you a tenth. And so here's, here's Jacob now. Abraham tithed. Jacob began to tithe. Well, let's talk about this. Leviticus now has Moses codifying it. So we go from a couple different people doing it and talking about it. Now it becomes like, like a code. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain, soil, fruit, from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, the first 10% was God's. It belonged to God. And so then we see this in Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that so there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time in Scripture God ever says to test you. Only, only place. Test me with your first 10%. Test me and see if I will bless you. Test me and see if I will get involved in your deals. Test me and see if I will get involved in your finances. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out all these blessings. All right. There were three tithes, very specifically. Here's the first one. The first tithe supported the priests and the Levites. The second tithe provided for a sacred festival. And the third tithe assisted orphans, widows, and the poor. So there were three different tithes in their culture, in their system. The Levite and the festival tithes were yearly, but the tithe for the poor was collected about every third year. This averaged to about 23% over three years, about 23% per year when when you added all this together. Now, that's the first leg. The first leg of this tripod would be tithing. The second leg is first fruits. And the first fruits is harder for us to understand because most of us in the room aren't farmers, all right? But let's talk about it. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And he says this, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for seven days, eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appropriate time in the month of Aviv. From that month, you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. It's in the context of first fruits. What in the world are first fruits? Okay? Say that. What in the world are first fruits? I'm so glad you asked that question. Here's what they are. First fruits include the first production of a vineyard, grain, wine, and olive oil, and sheared wool. In other words, three different times a year when the farmer brought his crops or there was a harvest or there was sheep shearing time, the farmer took the first 10% of kind of like unexpected money, kind of like, kind of like miracle money. This, this really did happen. The crops really did come in. Most of these resources went to fund ministries. The nature of the first fruits requires it to be taken off the top. It is the best and it is, it is the first. So that's the nature of the first fruits. It is not to be stored up, hidden, hoarded, or distributed in any other way. All right, so we've got two legs of the tripod. The first one is tithing, right? Say tithing. The second one is first fruits. So I I didn't really get this. Today I'm going to share with you something that's taken me 25 years to put all this together. My goal today is to go deep. 
My goal today is not to be broad. My goal today is to give you lots of information and education on giving. My goal today is not any sappy stories. I'm not any t- touching any heartstrings. There's no more offering. Go, okay. We've already taken up the offering. I'm not announcing any new capital campaign. We just paid cash for the wedding chapel. We paid cash. So I, this is the perfect time to talk about this. I'm not launching anything. My goal today is to help you with education. I became a tither at age 16. The preacher talked about tithing. I just painted this huge house, took me two weeks, and I had 10 $100 bills in my hand. Had no idea what tithing was. We'd just been going to church for about a year and a half. The offering comes by, and I have 1000 bucks of cash as a 16-year-old. I was rich, okay? And I thought to myself, I'm not giving up one of these babies. Are you kidding me? I'm not giving up one. The offering plate comes. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. Offering plate comes by. I threw it in. It broke the chains of greed at that moment. At age 16, I've been a tither. The first fruits, I really didn't understand that I did some of this, but I wasn't able to really pull this together until just a couple of years ago. My Aunt Georgie died. And my Aunt Georgie died like 20 years ago, and I got $1,000 in the will. And I thought to myself, well, I just made $1,000 from Aunt Georgie's funeral or for her, her inheritance, so I'll take 100 bucks. We went to a mission thing, kind of like a pro-life rally, and I wrote a check for $100. That's kind of what fruit, First Fruits is, unexpected money, an inheritance, a, an unexpected bonus. First Fruits is really more like miracle money. It's not money that you expected, but it's something that came through that you really didn't cause, you really didn't create. That's the concept of First Fruits, okay? All right, the next one. The next one is voluntary offerings. All three of these are in the Old Testament. All three of these are in the New Testament. And by the way, by the way, this is what's so interesting to me about the text that we're going to talk about in just a minute. How in the world could 2 Corinthians chapter 9 all of a sudden replace the entire Old Testament giving when we didn't have a Bible for the first 400 years? We did not have a Bible until A.D. 400 until we had all 66 books in a canon. There is no way that 2 Corinthians now becomes all of a sudden the standard of New Testament giving when nobody had a Bible, nobody could read or write, and think about it. Oh, Gutenberg hadn't invented the printing press yet, and so until the 1400s come along, there was no way to mass produce the Bible, and it took another 200 years before we got it into our own languages. So until 1600 or 1700 AD, nobody even read the Bible. There were fragments, there were pieces, there were manuscripts, there was pericopes, but nobody had all of the Bible put together. And so there's no way that our context today replaces Old Testament giving. It's all a part of it. Here's how the Old Testament voluntary giving started. And by the way, Catholic scholars and Protestant scholars wrote about the fact that the Hebrews really didn't like the voluntary offerings because they had to do the tithe and the first fruits. The Hebrew scholars did not appreciate our scholarship and corrected us and said, you know, you Catholic scholars and you Protestant scholars don't know what you're talking about. Remember the temple? We all got together and built the temple with David. 
Remember when we had to rebuild the temple? We all got excited about that. And you know what? People do get excited about special gifts. But here they are in the Old Testament. Speak to Aaron. This goes back thousands of years ago. And his sons and all the Israelites and say to them, if any of you, whether an Israelite or a foreigner residing in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a what? Free will. What does free will mean? I can choose to do it or I cannot choose to do it. I can choose to be a part of this. I cannot choose to be a part of it. And by the way, every giving opportunity outside of tithing and outside of first fruits may not even be what God wants you to do. And so you ask yourself with every free will giving opportunity, Lord, in light of this opportunity, what would you have me to do? Because sometimes he may not want you to be a part of a giving opportunity. You must present a mail without defect. I just want to mention this again. Again, it comes up again as a free will offering. Again, it comes up as a free will offering. Leviticus talks about this. And so then we come to voluntary offerings even in the Old Testament. What does it look like? It went beyond the tithe of the first fruits. This is giving because I desire to be part of something and I can. That's a big difference. Tithing in first fruits is I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. This may be like our wedding chapel. Not all of you could do that. Not all of you may were able to do a voluntary or a free will offering. And there are things that come along that you can do and you can't do. Maybe you did some things four or five years ago. Maybe you couldn't do that at the wedding chapel, but maybe in three or four years from now, you can. It's I, I can. I choose to be a part of a voluntary offering. So here's our text today. And our text today is about the mother church. And the mother church is in trouble. There's a drought in Israel. There is a famine in the land. How in the world this has become the standard for New Testament giving is beyond me when there wasn't a Bible for 400 years and nobody even had a copy until about 1700 AD. This is about a famine. And Paul sends Titus out. He sends Titus out to go to the churches as a fundraiser for a free will offering. Can you help the mother church? The mother church started all these other churches. The mother church was responsible for this church, this church, and this church, and this church. And so Paul sends Titus and some other men. Apparently, these were great guys who had incredible integrity, and they would go, and the people would know them, and the people would trust. And I'm I'm picturing a big treasure chest, and they're going basically from these church to church to church. Had nothing to do with tithing had nothing to do with first fruits. It had everything to do with a giving opportunity. For instance, God forbid right now you're a church and your house burns down. Your house burns down. Here's a free will offering. Next Sunday we mentioned, hey, so-and-so's house burned to the ground and their insurance had lapsed. We need to raise 250K in about the next three weeks. Can you help? And the people would rally. You would rally. You would come to the aid. That's a free will offering. Not everybody could give in three or four or five thousand dollars. Not everybody could do that today. But the ones that could would help. A house burns down. About five or six Christmases ago, Seeds, an organization that puts the Bible into uh, unspoken people languages, in other words, they don't have a language, not a written language, Seeds came to us and they said, We'd like to translate the Bible into Papua New Guinea, the New Testament into Papua New Guinea. How much would it cost? 
$15,000. So four or five Christmases ago, we raised fifteen k, and we sent $15,000 to Seeds, and Seeds has just now finished that translation of the Bible. It's, it's the wedding chapel. There's all kinds of voluntary opportunities that come along. This is the context. Paul has sent Titus and the brothers out to the churches. There's a famine in the land. The mother church is starving. Can you help the mother church? And so Paul says these words that somehow have supposedly superseded New Testament giving. It doesn't supersede New Testament giving. It's the third leg of the tripod. It's the volunteer offerings that they've been talking about in the Old Testament for years. Now, that took me over 25 years to figure this out. I'm slow, okay? So Paul says this about a voluntary offering. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give. This is a volunteer offering. Each of you should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I've heard this said so many times, well, God loves a cheerful giver. doesn't matter how much I give. Who said that? This is a special offering. This has nothing to do with tithing. This has nothing to do with free will offerings. Now, God does want you, when it comes to voluntary offerings, to give cheerfully and to give willingly, But you don't even have to give for every voluntary offerings. It's called what? Voluntary, right? And God is able to bless you. But if you do, God's able to bless you so in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's exactly what God wants to do. God wants that you trust me, I'm going to bless you. You trust me and you do something that I I, I, my Holy Spirit leads you to do, I'm going to en- enable you to do even, even more things. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving un- unto God. When it comes to free will offerings, you need to examine three things. You need to examine your feelings, your fears, and your dreams. And if you're married, if you're married, Married couples absolutely need to sit down and talk about a free will offering. Tithing's a no-brainer. Unexpected miracle money for first fruits, no, no-brainer. It's not a question. But voluntary offerings, you need to talk about your feelings, your fears, and your dreams. And by the way, if husbands and wives don't agree on a voluntary offering, you should give the lowest amount because marital harmony is far more important at that point, and you're going, preacher, you're not very good at this. I know, I know, I, I realize that, but I really believe that's far more important. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. Now we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I want to show you the context now about Paul and Titus and sending the brothers out. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you were in Achaia, you were ready to give. This drought's been going on for years. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers, along with Titus, we got some great elders that are going on the tour, taking the big treasure chest so that there's incredible integrity, that there's never a hint of impropriety. About you in this matter should not prove to be hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. 
For if any Macedonian would come to me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you would be ashamed of having been so confident. In other words, when we were there earlier, you said you'd help the mother church. So we're coming back, so we hope you cough it up. I guess that's what he means, okay? So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, tell about the need. There's a free will offering going to be taken up for the famine for the, the mother church and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised, the generous gift. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Free will offerings are never grudgingly given. Free will offerings are, I get to be a part of this. I can't wait to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. So I want to encourage you not to miss out on what God is doing. He has invited you to be a part of kingdom work. And giving is one of several ways, but it is a very important way that you get to do this. I have nothing to do with the children's department, okay? But my giving, in a sense, impacts the children's department. I have really nothing to do with the youth department. We're not youth sponsors or youth, but my giving impacts the youth department. I don't go on all these mission trips. Every time we have a mission trip, I don't go, but every time I give. So when you give, you get to be a part of everything that God is doing through a local church. So I want to encourage you to be generous. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And it comes from the very first part of that chapter. This is a free will offering. This is the third part of the tripod. One is what? Tithing. Second one is first fruits. And the third one is voluntary offerings. Okay. So let's talk about this. Where do you need to work on this when it comes to giving? Pick one of these. One of these you need to own today. Do you need to work on being generous? Do you need to work on giving cheerfully? Do you need to work on giving regularly? Do you need to work on giving sacrificially? Do you need to work on tithing, first fruits, voluntary? Do you need to work on giving quietly or proportionately or worshipfully? I'm going to ask you to pick one of those. Take a second right now and see which of these really you need to talk about, you need to hone in on. When you've got one, I want you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. That baby doesn't want to give a dime. <laughs> I understand your pain, son. I get it. All right, all right. So if you do get involved, and God does get involved in your finances, what does God say he will do? Well, Malachi, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not get involved in your deal. See if I will not get involved in your money. See if I will not get involved in your household. And open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Now we're talking about first fruits. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brimmed over with new wine. Do you think God means what he says? Do you really think we can trust God? I mean, if I give that 10% with first fruits, do you think God's going to pull through or not? One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, yet comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so I want to share with you now the story of of two harbor siders. And these two harbor siders are sharing with you about some of their experiences about giving. Marianne and 
I've been married for 42 years, and we've really striven to tithe for those 42 years. And we've seen a tremendous blessing in our lives. We've gone from the idea of it's a, a ritual or something that's required to something that's given us tremendous joy. And, you know, we've wanted to make good returns on our investments all our lives. And like many people, we're students of the financial markets. We know we like to read Forbes and Barron's and Wall Street Journal and all that to try to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to us. But all those investments here on the earth, they're temporal. They're temporary. And what we're looking for is we're looking for a big pop. We're looking for something that's eternal that will yield a huge rate of return. I think that money has the ability to control you or you have the ability to control money. And when you tithe, tithing to me ends up being that, that tangible thing that I can do on a daily basis or on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis to let go of the power that money can have on my heart. And it's, it's honestly just a continual reminder that God is in control. Yeah, I think that's where it really impacts us is like the going above and beyond where we've had times where like it's like this month it's really tight and then God says give this person this, this much money and we're like man but things are really tight right now and when we do that that's where we really feel the impact of it like it feels good and it changes your heart. For over 30 years we've been involved with the Kimberly Home which is a crisis pregnancy center. Giving there and ministering to the women in our local community has been a real blessing to me because I realized that by sharing my faith and just loving on them um, and then giving to the ministry of Kimberly Home that we um, can make a real impact in people's lives. I remember when I first job out of college, I was a youth pastor and I was making $200 a week. I remember meeting my pastor outside the church um, one day and I just, I was breaking with compassion for people and I just said, man, I, I wish I had more, you know, so that I could give more. I wish I could do more for these people. I, I, I don't have any, I really don't have any money. I barely have enough to, for me. And he just, he said this to me and it literally changed the course of my life. And he just said, you'll never, you'll never be able to give when you have more if you don't know how to give right now. And he said, you'll never be able to give a thousand dollars when you're making $10,000 if you don't know how to give $5 when you're making $10. And what it did to my heart is it changed my perspective on money. And all of a sudden money became a resource that I was going to use to impact the kingdom, to impact people's lives. Because we weren't meant to live in constant burden and fear of finances, but we were meant to have control over our money and to you know, put our money to use and to use it as an opportunity to impact people. You know, God is a really good giver, isn't he? Hasn't he blessed you? Hasn't he given to you skill and talent, opportunities? He ends this whole section of scripture coming back to Jesus. And he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's talking about Christ. And I think about how much God has blessed me. And I think about how God has blessed me far beyond what I ever deserve. And I'm sure that's true with every one of us in this room. The Father has blessed you with time, some skill, 
some opportunity, the right people in your life at the right time, the right opportunities. All this stuff has happened to you. And you're like, wow, God has really, really blessed me. And I, I am overwhelmed with gratitude on, as I look back and see he did this and he put this person in my life and he blessed me here and he gave me this skill and he certainly gave me Danita. And I look at all that and I'm going, man, he's good. And God's a good giver. You put your trust in God, you think God's going to stiff you? He's not going to shortchange you. You take a step of faith with your heavenly Father? I mean, look at, look at the giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life. You talk about a good giver. God can give. And he can outgive all of us collectively in this room. So I want to encourage you to have faith and trust in him and trust in his word and trust in his will for your life. But the most important part of today is still don't give a dime. Come to Christ. Coming to Christ is the issue. Come to Jesus today. Trust him to forgive you and cleanse you of all of your sin and all of your unrighteousness. And trust him then with your money, your tithes, your first fruits. And then every once in a while, he's going to tug on you on a volunteer offering or volunteer gift just to put your faith and trust in him. And he will continue to bless you and lead you and guide you. So I want to encourage our prayer partners to come down front right now and ask all of us to stand up. And if you've never given your life to Christ, that's what we want you to do first and foremost. Give your life to Jesus. And then today, go sign up for Christian baptism. Go to the guest service desk right now. Sign up so we can get you the T-shirt and all that stuff tonight. Starts at 6, but get there early. Traffic's always a line getting in on that parking. But we want tonight this to be God giving you an incredible gift of identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. Maybe today you would like one of our prayer partners to pray for you and pray over you for today about finances and money. And for you to come down front and to be prayed over. Maybe you've got some business decisions. Maybe you're struggling with some of the things that I said today. I'm just going to ask you to, to come down front today and be prayed for and to be prayed over. Okay? All right. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and how clear it really is and how it all goes together. Always has, always will. And Father, um, help us to put all our hope and all our faith and all our trust, not in our resources, but in you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is a really tough message for me to deliver. So thank you for letting me get through the first two. Help me with the next one. In Jesus' name, amen.